0: To the river, to the river we go, leave
1: our worries on the shore and drift away. On the river, on the river we know, sometimes the perfect words are never said. I my- Welcome everybody to the very first podcast of the blue liners got hamp and i sitting here we uh been thinking about doing this for a little while doing our uh, youtube videos our blue line outfitters we uh we get a lot of questions about streams and rods and flies and stuff like that so we uh were guests on some on podcasts so we decided uh we might as well uh, venture into this world and uh see how it is. Uh, we know Hemp likes to talk and so uh, it comes natural for him. Me not so much so this is something new for me. <laughs> but we are uh, excited about it and hopefully we can share a little a little knowledge that we have uh, learned along the way especially me as a newer fly fisher than uh, Hemp so hopefully get a couple different perspectives on uh, on the small stream fly fishing world from two different people with different uh, backgrounds. So, welcome, Hemp. Thank you. We are uh,
0: excited to do this. As Adam said, uh, after doing the first podcast, basically uh, as a fishing guide you stand there and talk for eight hours to people so talking about fishing for an hour on a podcast is really not not that difficult so <laughs> excited to give this a shot um as you know as adam mentioned you know we uh we started blue line outfitters youtube channel a couple of years ago it uh been an idea we i hadn't kicked around for a while i actually a uh, little background i'd guided for about 10 years full time and um got out of guiding full-time and got one of those dreaded real jobs and uh, got back into fishing after a couple of years of that and started filming myself with an iphone and if you've ever tried to catch a uh a brook trout bow and air cast and catch a brook trout and film yourself with an iphone the uh quality of a handheld iphone <laughs> video is pretty rough you get a lot of sky and toes and a little bit of fish so uh adam actually uh got me my first gopro we traded some stuff and i ended up with a gopro so that was how this all started was uh one man with a gopro and a crazy idea to go catch a bunch of six inch fish pretty and
1: pretty sure it was an echo rod wasn't it i believe so we traded an echo that's rod for a gopro a seven foot three inch two-way echo rod that i still have <laughs> yeah and i still have the gopro because i'm cheap
0: and hadn't bought a new one so uh that's that's kind of how this all started so I think going forward, we'll have a, have a lot of guests and stuff on it, but this being the first one, we're just going to kick around some ideas. But the beauty of it is today is May 2nd, and I think May is probably my favorite month to trout fish out of all of them. Um, historically, when I got in, May was our season that we typically caught the biggest fish. It seems like the water temp's warming up here in Georgia and the big fish and all fish, their metabolisms are up because the water's a little warmer, but it's not so hot that they get lethargic. So if you're out there listening, when this drops, you need to be be on the water fishing instead of listening to the podcast, but- <laughs> we, appreciate we appreciate you it. listening, though. That's right, yeah, we appreciate <laughs> you being here. But, Listen to it on
1: the way to the stream. Uh,
0: for you new blue liners out there that are kind of uh, kind of new and not sure what to do, pretty much in the month of May, most of the southeast on the small stream if you can hit the water with something with some yellow on it be it a stimulator or elk caddis, and you put it in the right spot then then you're going to have some early success in your your small stream fishing career so this is definitely the the time to hit the water before it gets hot in the summer so get out there and fish here in may adam Mm -hmm. let's talk about that georgia trout slam you you just got done
1: Heck yeah. That was, uh, what was it? has been, when did they, uh, see, they announced it, what, three weeks ago? Yeah, three or four. Three or four weeks ago, Georgia DNR did. Of course, being that we are, I'm a new chaser of certificates, and Hamps, a long time chaser of certificates. The fact that Georgia DNR put a certificate or a, a sticker in our in our home state, we didn't waste no time, and we got that done in the day. So, uh, we had fun doing it. Uh, if you've seen the YouTube video that catching the wild, we 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 wanted to do it with all wild fish. There's nothing wrong doing stock fish, you know. Fish where you can get your uh, get your slam done. But us being blue liners, you know, we had to we had to chase wild fish. So catching that wild brown uh, was a little. I don't say difficult, but it didn't, it didn't, it it took about three hours for three people. Of course, we had Steve with us and Steve was traveling. So we was trying to prioritize Steve because he had to, you know, actually do some work and stuff. So we were trying to help Steve along and then uh, get the, get the trout slam done ourselves. So it took, it took a minute. I enjoyed it. I had never fished on that side of the, basically central north georgia
0: yeah it was uh that brown going into it i knew that brown historically there's just not a lot of creeks and you know i'm sure some of you blue liners from pa and other states that hear this you know you have a ton of wild brown trout but really we just don't have a ton of wild brown trout in north Mm -hmm. georgia we we have a ton of wild rainbows instead so uh finding that wild brown trout is always the the most difficult place and um we tried a new creek we'd never fished before. I knew it had wild browns, it's pretty historically known to have nothing but wild browns in it. But man, it, it was not easy. I it was actually really cold, and uh, it seemed like it we actually didn't even start till around noon, so uh, the water still wasn't warmed up a whole lot. And it took you know, like Adam said, about three hours. But kind of an inside story on that The the brown I actually caught was absolutely pure luck i had actually hooked one earlier on a beautiful cast but the fish i caught my uh fly the leader actually hung on a little a little tiny twig in the water and skated my fly across this pool and the little suicidal brown trout came up there and ate it and uh, so i take zero credit for skill level there he, uh he was absolutely completely suicidal on that brown but uh you know, the big thing about the Georgia Trout Slam, my kids and actually even my wife are all excited. They want a Georgia, they want a, as Steve would call it, their own decal. <laughs> and uh, we won't get into whether it should be a decal or a certificate, but it's a decal in Georgia right now. So
1: <laughs> I think they may uh, see the initial uh, interest in it. And if it gets a ton of interest, and hopefully, fingers crossed that we can. If we have to do it again and resubmit it for a certificate, that's no biggie.
0: That's right. Yeah, I'll take a certificate and a challenge coin. We're we, <laughs> right. shouting it out to Georgia DNR. You know, get on, get on board here. That's Let's. Right.
1: Uh, if you have to charge a little fee to enter, so be that's it. That's
0: right. You know, it, I think Utah
1: conservation,
0: uh, Utah. We did the Utah Cut Slam back in the summer. We're going to talk about some summer plans coming up, but they uh, they actually have a cool thing where it's twenty dollars and. Uh, majority of it goes back into a uh, cutthroat conservation there in Utah. So they actually uh, take a few bucks out, I guess, to uh, process the certificates and the challenge coins. But it's then... a really
1: pretty certificate too. Oh yeah. It's it looks a... real good framed. Yeah. it's uh <laughs> And the challenge
0: coins nice too. Yeah. yeah challenge coins are where it's at. Okay. I, I like a challenge coin, but. The, uh talking about slams, you know, Adam, I, I love a slam. I don't know why, but I absolutely love a, a challenge. So the very first one that kind of got me started in this whole thing was in Wyoming. Back in the uh, late, late 90s, I would go out there and fish. I had a uh, school teacher that actually had a summer cabin out there that he would let us come stay at for free. And we were a bunch of broke high school kids, so that was the perfect price. And uh, so I did my uh, Wyoming cut slam, in like 98, 99, nine, two thousand, took me several summers to, to catch all of them, and that thing uh, has been hung in my uh, college dorm, it hung in our first house, and now it's currently sitting here in the man cave with me. But uh, I've carried that certificate for twenty, almost twenty five years now. It's uh, got it framed. So if you don't think it, you know, it's something that you'll cherish. I guess you know. I think there's a lot of uh, blue liners that might listen to this that are also western native trout initiative folks that try to complete that which is a we'll talk i think we'll talk more in depth about that going forward at some point mm-hmm. but there's a there's a lot of really cool uh challenges if you will certificates out there
1: yeah i enjoy doing them too hamp's drug me along the way i kind of didn't really i don't know think about it a whole lot than we started traveling and doing them, and I've caught the bug. Now I'm a collector of certificates and stickers and hats and and uh, challenge coins. I'm pretty proud of that Western Trout Initiative hat, though, I ain't going to lie.
0: I think a, uh, a funny backstory to this, while Adam tells you how proud he is of that, is <laughs> when we first started working together... Uh, Adam, I would tell Adam about you know these native trout and and show him pictures, and he would make fun of me and, and ask me if I was at, after my minnow slam, <laughs> and I was gonna go get a minnow slam. So uh, here, three four years later, it's been more than that. He's making some plans.
1: <laughs> been more than that. If you really think, it's been like seven or eight now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Shoot. Cannot believe I've hung around him this long. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, oh, my gosh. Now that I think about it, it makes my stomach <laughs> hurt. <clears throat> yeah, Adam, he went
0: from uh, from making fun of me for my minnow slam to planning summer vacations around right. catching a six-inch wild the fish real, in the middle the real of nowhere. Art,
1: the real art of it is right now is somehow spinning it and convincing my wife that it's a good idea and that I need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were planning last night, going back and forth on text messages, and he sent a list, you know, because we were, were planning on uh, elk hunting and uh, with some stuff going on out west. I think they had a hard hard winter, and Wyoming's got some, um, their wildlife commission's planning some uh, changes to the elk rules and limits and such, I believe, if you follow along with that kind of stuff. But anyways, uh we made a decision, or he made the decision, it was his tag, to withdraw it. And so now we're gonna go to California, or somewhere out west. Anyways, back to the story, he sent a list, and on his list of possibilities was Alaska and Japan. And when I was sitting there, I started laughing. My wife's like, why are you laughing? I was like, this is Ham's alternative list to elk hunting. And uh, <laughs> if looks could kill. When <laughs> I read off Alaska and Japan, <laughs>
0: hey, it's uh, Alaska. I, you know, I got it there in '08, uh, summer of '08. I got it for a place called Mission Lodge. That's a free shout out. Check them out. Um might have to save a, a lot of eat a lot of baloney sandwiches. It's a uh, it's got kind of ridiculous now. I think it's maybe around fourteen thousand dollars for a week or something like that. They, uh, the fishing's absolutely fantastic, and the most beautiful place in North America, probably. Um, but yeah, I, I'd really love to go back to Alaska, but I, uh, without getting divorced and going for six months in the summertime, I was uh, trying to plan a, a do-it-yourself trip there, so it's pretty pretty extensive logistically to pull that off, but... As Adam mentioned, Japan—that's definitely on my on my bucket list. They have a. Uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna do some Japan then. If you uh, if you want to go down a rabbit hole on YouTube, check out uh, I wanna I, W A N A fishing. It's uh, basically a char, It's their version of a brook trout, and uh, they actually compete with Georgia for being the southernmost uh, char in the world. But uh, they got several different kinds, and I want to catch them all. So. <laughs>
1: I'm hoping we just see if they have a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be in Chinese or Japanese though.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that to be kind of cool. It but, would, yeah. Yeah, I might have to make my own, oh my own Japanese char certificate. Oh
1: my gosh! But uh,
0: definitely this summer. Uh,
1: yeah, we're uh, t- from now. We're two weeks away from going to New York. We're less than two weeks.
0: Yeah, it's i am uh, I'm uh, I'm excited. Um, we're going up to hang out with the, the boys from J.P. Ross and do the uh, Trout Power, which uh, Trout Power is a uh, basically a citizen science uh, conservation group that samples fish in the Adirondacks part there and uh, basically does genetic studies on them to get a baseline. My understanding is to get a baseline of the populations as well as you know their genetics and how they relate to each other and such things, so that's uh, it's pretty, inter- I, you know, it's one of those things that a few months ago I'd never heard of, and all of a sudden we're going to go up and spend several days right. with those guys and with, we'll try to catch a uh, Adirondack brook trout.
1: I think they uh, were too trying to identify what they call pure strains in uh, New York. Like, I know they, like everywhere, had a ton of stocking stocking efforts and they were identifying pure strains and so working with jp which he's been really good to us um he uh he, he founded or co-founded trout power and uh so we're gonna go up they got an event at the in the middle of may when we're up there so we're gonna go and hang out with them and see what the organization about i'm sure there'll be a video i know there'll be a video about it so we're we're excited. We're gonna do a little fishing along the way, of course. I think we're gonna do some fishing the shenandoah I think yeah. Hemp's got Maryland and Pennsylvania, of course. That's like the east coast brook trout, uh Mecca. <laughs> I'd <laughs> say so
0: like. is, doing the uh doing the research you could almost uh close your eyes and and touch the map and probably find a place to catch a brook trout in Pennsylvania. So I'm kinda of excited about that. It's uh it's a long ways from Georgia to uh, to the Adirondacks. I think it's around, we're looking around 13, 14 hours of driving. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to break that up in a couple of days and make some pit stops in some states close to the interstate. I've done a whole lot of research to try to find a close place to catch a brook trout in those other states. I'm kind of excited about Maryland. There's a there's a state park we're going to fish, and uh, from the videos, it Looks like it's got some pretty decent fish in it. You know, if you come from Georgia where our brook trout are typically 10 inches or less, you know, a few 12-inch monsters, but most of them are 10 inches or less or even 8 inches or less for the most part. Mm -hmm. When you start watching videos of people catching uh, 10, 11, 12, 13-inchers somewhat consistently, uh, I get pretty excited about that. It's going to be pretty
1: fun. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. we got a lot of stuff coming up. It's hard to... uh trying to categorize it. And, of course, we we also, too, work full-time jobs. We wish we could do YouTube and walk around Blue Line streams for a living, but unfortunately (laughs) that's not the case. So we... we got two full time jobs, YouTube this and uh, our regular day jobs. <laughs> if uh,
0: if any super wealthy person listens to this, wants to kick us about <laughs> fifty grand a year apiece to uh, to fish and do YouTube videos, holler at us. We, right. uh, we'd be happy to cash that check.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but so far that hasn't happened.
1: Right, just chugging away at the real job. Oh my goodness, it's a good escape. I like fishing. I tell you uh, a little side on trout fishing YouTube and like what we found out is which we I still enjoy doing it but you get to where it becomes a production like for to grab people's attention and to get YouTube followers where uh you mainly, mainly go there to film and you fish along the way but I guess for me, finding the balance, what me and Hank was talking about the other day, finding the balance where where we're getting to where we enjoy the filming and the editing and the people watching it, where it doesn't feel like that we're not fishing and all we're doing is trying to stop and film. I think we're, get, we're getting past that transition where it's it's really fun like to, to, to make the creations and you know, see the outcome and see people's reaction and they enjoy the videos. So it's a different kind of uh, enjoyment on the trout wash. Obviously we were still fishing and we're still enjoy being out there, but you have the aspect of running the cameras, you know, taking that, any YouTubers that fish new ones coming up, my advice would be is allow at least a couple hours on the on everything that you do. To, to get your camera out and not just want resist the urge to rig your fly rod up as soon as you bust the door open of the truck and down the creek you go.
0: I feel offended.
1: <laughs> you got to take the time. you got to just stop and take the time and get the camera out. And, and another pro tip is there's not, you can never film too little footage. You all, just always film, 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 film. I think our, uh, the Georgia Trout Slam, it was like, it was a half a day. I think we had like 120 gigabytes of footage that was boiled down to, was that 17, 18 minutes?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been a, uh, a learning curve. And, uh, I'm sure there's people out there that come from some type of, uh, V- video you know even if they took it in high school or something they have some mm-hmm. experience with videography and um man we're uh, we have none of that no we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're a couple of uh we got a couple we started out as a couple of police officers with a gopro and trying to sneak a few hours off of work to do it so uh that's uh it's definitely a learning a huge learning curve from the uh from the very first videos to now and you know you cannot appreciate how uh, how much good b roll changes a film, you know, and uh you can only watch somebody catch, you know, 4 6-inch brook trout every video for so long, you know, I think to me the uh what makes a good video is the story behind it. Mm-hmm. If you if you just, you know, there's some huge YouTube fishing channels out there where the guy goes out there and catches fish and doesn't hardly say anything and man, they're they're successful. I don't take that away from them, but to me it just gets to be extremely boring just uh just watching a, a you know Fishing,
1: also no too is the del- the delicate process of not naming everything. Like people obviously love to watch stuff that you know they get on YouTube and they search. Like if they want to go fish a creek, they'll, you know, they'll type in the name of that creek. Us being blue liners, you know, you know we fish really tiny stuff. I not want to say it's delicate habitat, but it definitely don't need to see a thousand anglers a year on it it's because true. it would be. Gone through, and we would be ostracized from the community. If we, <laughs>
0: that's true. If we
1: named any, which we're not going to name stuff anyway, other than delayed harvests, of course, because that's public, and anything on a trout stocking report that they email out. I mean, we don't care about naming that stuff because that's what the, the, the natural resource people. That's what they want people to do: to come, come enjoy and fish. So we don't have problems naming that stuff. But like uh, Whitman Hampfish Fisher Creek, once a year in the Smoky Mountains. And we're probably the only two people that fish that creek every year.
0: I would say so. It's a it's pretty funny to it's really the perfect that creek's the perfect brook trout creek because it's one of the few I have ever fished in North Carolina or Georgia. That has basically no rhododendron on it whatsoever. Yeah.
1: Now, in the beginning of it, yeah. you got to put the legwork in.
0: Yeah, actually, the beginning of it, I think that's what protects it, and makes it so good. It's absolute. The first uh, few hundred yards is absolute uh, rhododendron hell. You know, you have to yep. crawl through it, mm-hmm. and uh, then it opens up into a big hardwood cove. And uh, man, it's uh, it's plenty of room to cast, to fishing pretty interesting the first time we fished it we caught fish but we didn't really catch a lot of big fish and then uh in the year that followed when we went we caught a lot of really fish up there you know eight pushing nine inches long some really nice ones out of in a pretty tiny creek
1: really small water that video is on our youtube channel too i think it's called epic day there's two parts yeah to two it, parts that's on the secret creek
0: and uh but that thing is is jam up um but it's another place where it wouldn't take a whole lot of pressure to
1: to to ruin it. Yeah. So we can't name stuff. We won't name stuff like that.
0: No, it's you know I think it, sometimes in the in business and life people basically will sell out you know and if you stick a name on something it's most definitely going to get more views and and likes and all of that thing. But to me it's not worth selling out. You know your Small creeks just for a few more likes and views, right? And the, yeah, you know the the beauty of blue lining, in my opinion, is is the exploration of of doing it. Oh yeah, sure. And uh, I like maybe uh, I'm not sure why, maybe it's part of the challenge, but you know, picking a blue line on the map and and going to fish it and finding out what kind of fish it has in it, and if it has a waterfalls it has brookies above it, or all those things. That's the uh, that's the beauty of it. And if you put in just a little bit of effort, footwork. And anywhere you can outwalk the majority of, of people that fish next to the road. Mm-hmm.
1: So don't, don't be uh, surprised either if you put that footwork in there and go and there ain't a dang thing in it. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I've done that a lot. Yeah, definitely they don't make it to YouTube.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I fished a creek in the Smoky. Actually, we have together as well. i fished several creeks in the Smokies that whether it was acid rain or that rock that I won't pr- try to pronounce here on. Uh, oh, yeah, podcast or you know. has you know they have uh, issues with a rock leaches out stuff into the stream and kills it when it's when they made the roads and stuff so that'll give you some clue to where that's at but the upper end of those streams just don't have any fish no, in them no beautiful, beautiful beautiful water yeah absolutely beautiful water not a fish in sight. so that's part of that's part of blue lining is is hitting those creeks and seeing what's in there and um, the latest video, you know, I had been told by a couple of people that had brook trout in it. I went and gave it a shot, and uh, wild rainbows, you know. So I'm not sure if they caught wild rainbows, thinking they were brook trout, or, but you never know till you go and fish it.
1: Yep. And I remember this another didn't make the video cut, which I still have it on the hard drive. Is I went up in the Blue Ridge Parkway, and I hiked off in a gorge. I'm talking about miles, a couple two and a half miles. And when I got there, I started seeing like landslides like across the valley. Like I was up on the ridge walking through the, through the engine, and I got where I could, you know, on the map I see you know, the creeks below me at to look and then there's huge landslides. So get down to the creek and it ain't nothing but landslides that one hurricane had come through probably eight months prior to that. And, I guess, cause of the ridge, the way the hurricane came and the way the Blue Ridge Parkway lined up, it absolutely dumped rain at that elevation, which that creek was like, it was over 3,500 feet. It was, you know, it was pretty high for, for around here, and it just destroyed it. And uh, the banks and the landslides washed on the creek, and it you know I've read books on that place, and it was just... That was one of the few places in the southeast that you know people wrote about that you could catch ten-inch brook trout, and there wasn't anything left. <laughs> it was just gone.
0: Then you had to pretty
1: good ways to get there. Oh man! And it started lightning and raining, and y'all know <laughs> I don't do lightning, so I was getting a little panicky because I was a two and a half miles away from the paved road, which that's where you had to park and walk out a little trail. Then you had to bushwhack the last mile to get over in this gorge. So that was a, a heck of a day, and it was cold up there, too. It was 75, 80 degrees, and down the bottom it was 52 up there. It was, And it was misty. It was a long day, long <laughs> Caught day. Caught zero fish. Caught zero fish <laughs> and walked a long ways just to get there, and it was just destroyed. It was a little heartbreaking, I ain't going to lie. I, uh,
0: I think that's, uh, that's a pretty... Funny tale, you know, on YouTube, any any YouTuber videos, you know, Facebook, social media, you only see the highlights of, you know, of, you see the best of the best, right? So uh, talking to Adam's story there, I went and fished uh, just back in April on my birthday and uh, picked a creek I had never fished before. Supposed to have some pure strain brookies in it. I got there, and it was tiny, and it was an absolute mess of rhododendron and the fish for some reason were really really spooky on the bottom end i would get you know you'd have to crawl like a bear through this rhododendron and then all you would see was a little brook trout scurrying up the pool 25 <laughs> feet in front of you Golly. it was uh man and then it started to rain and adam doesn't like bears or lightning <laughs> no no I am like a cat. I do not like rain. I do not like being out in the rain. Uh, when I guided for a living, you know, you'd have to stand there for, for eight hours at a time in the rain. And, uh, when I was in Alaska, it would start raining and sometimes rain for four or five days straight and everything you own soaked by the end of that. So I'm, a. a funny enough, I'm pretty much a fair weather fisherman. If, if I, if I'm there, I'll fish in the rain, but it's not my favorite. I, uh, Adam always laughs, but I was more than happy to sit inside with a warm blanket and a book on a rainy day than I had getting freezing cold. Plus, the other big thing on blue line fishing, you know, I think the joy of blue line fishing is dry fly fishing.
1: Oh, yeah, seeing the tape.
0: Uh, so, when it's absolutely pouring down rain, sometimes the dry fly fishing is, is off a little bit.
1: So, before we, I just want to give a little bit of a backstory on why my fear of Lightning is so great. Just just real quick, so people's like, this guy's a winning. I have almost been struck by lightning three times. Like to the point where the lightning hit the tree and I had pieces of the tree and bark on my shirt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I have a little PTSD when they come around. I'm talking about like shards of wood on my clothes and my hair where the tree exploded in front of me. <laughs> So so, when lightning comes around, and that's not just one time that's been three times it, uh, So I get a little i get my, I get a little squirmy when the when the lightning shows up so anyways it, it's the,
0: i mean no, it's actually a good safety tip uh, <laughs> there's no fish worth dying you know dying no. over standing out there in a the lightning storm fishing with a a rod a carbon rod with yeah. a carbon rod or a graphite rod, yeah. That's a that's a good safety tip. It's probably not worth it.
1: <laughs> Sometimes you get in the back country and you can't help it, and you just read your own own safety stuff on do your own research on internet how to avoid getting <laughs> struck. But me, I don't know. I I go to my happy place and <laughs> <laughs> try not to have a panic attack.
0: My uh, my my best lightning story. I was actually guiding out in wyoming in the summer been about oh five oh six i believe and uh i had these uh two really nice ladies that were actually from Atlanta, and we were fishing and uh we had they uh, both of them were uh, a little older so we uh taken us a, a good bit of time to kind of work our way across the river so we get to the far side of the river away from the vehicle or the trail access and you can see this big squall line blowing up the valley on the river and uh, sure enough, it catches up with us, and it's a pretty good, pretty good storm with lightning and hail in it. So we get off the river and set our rod down and move up into some willows. And uh, I'll never forget, I was standing there, and y'all all saw me on video. I'm not the tiniest creature on the face of the planet. And my little lady that was with me, she said, If you'll squat down like this, if lightning hits you, you're, you're more likely to survive. <laughs> I said, ma'am, I'm pretty sure if lightning hits me standing here in these willows, it's not going to be good no matter whether you're squatted down or not. But bless her heart. She, uh, she was tougher than me cause she actually stayed squatted down for like 15 minutes while this storm just absolutely pelted us with lightning and, and hail and blew on up the river. Hmm. But, uh, that was probably there was out there, you know, in Wyoming it's wide open and there was nowhere to go, so a few willow trees, but that was by far the worst storm I've I've been in while fishing. That uh it was pretty pretty brutal, but I'll never forget her telling me to I needed to squat down so I would have better better chance of surviving a lightning strike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and as far as the bears go, I mean, who ain't been seeing the Headlines of bears eating people and biting them in their hammocks, and I mean, why wouldn't you be afraid of something that would sneak up on you (laughs) in the middle of the night and bite you? I mean, come on, that's common sense.
0: Now we find a real reason we canceled the Wyoming elk tag.
1: (laughs) There was a bear attack in our unit last year. There was a grizz attack, yeah, and that really, really messed me up. And we were going to be camping too. It was like, I'm gonna be honest, I wasn't. I was laying sleepless at night worrying about how I was going to lay in the tent with the, in the Grizz country. <laughs> oh, mercy.
0: We actually, uh, the very first time we ever went out there, we found this tree. It's one of those things where you see claw marks and then you look up and you just keep looking up and there's claw marks several feet above your head.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was... you uh... <laughs> was talking about that. I remember... Uh, this would go back first time uh, fishing where I got hooked. We was in Wyoming. We was out hunting. We took a we took a zero day or a break day because at elevation. I think the cabin's around 7,500, seventy five hundred, seventy eight hundred feet. So it's you know for us Georgia boys, you know twelve hundred thousand foot. You know we were struggling to sleep. You know breathing while we're sleeping at that <laughs> that high up. Anyways, so we go to this stream or whatever, and we're walking up the stream and, you know, catching some brook trout. And it was a really small stream. It was a good day. And I get uh, I start patting my pants. I'm like, I ain't got no gun. <laughs> like, we're in Grizz country, walking up through these, this thicket along this creek because, you know, out there, you know, it's the, that's the thick you know, areas along the water and I'm thinking, dang. So I say something to him. I'm like, hey, man, you got your gun? He pats his waist. He's like, no, I ain't got my gun neither. <laughs> so I was like, and then of course you get this dreadful feeling come over you. Like, all of a sudden, you know, the bear's watching you. Now he knows you ain't got a gun. You know, now he's going to attack. <laughs> you, you know, it's weird that happens that way. So as we look at our watch, it's like, yeah, it's probably about time to slip on out here anyway. <laughs> We bust out of the brush, and the first thing we walk upon was a big old pile of bear poop. It was. It was like steaming, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's, uh,
0: <laughs> if you remember, like right along the creek, there was no sign of the bear, but as soon as we got like 50 yards from the creek walking out, there was logs destroyed everywhere, yep, fresh yep. bear poop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course, had, my anxiety went through the roof. We had blissfully
0: fished right through the middle of area bear had recently fed through the yep. last 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the brook trout fishing was awesome. It there, was. Right? Yeah, I was f- what's uh, what's sad evening. about that to our blue liners is, uh, you know, you had those northern brook trout out there in Wyoming, and they're an invasive species. And uh, in the county we go to, they have a, a super high limit to, where you can keep those invasive fish. But they're absolutely beautiful brook trout. But the creek that we fished on that trip... When I started going out to that area in the late 90s, it actually had a lot of Colorado River cutthroats in it. And I think at this point, those uh, Colorado River cutthroats are only above a waterfall. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same story as our brook trout here in Georgia with the rainbows. The brook trout there basically outcompeted competed the, uh, the cutthroats. and The only population left is uh, above a barrier waterfall. So that's kind of a bummer. I always said if I won the lottery, I'd go out there and uh, catch all those brook trout and eat them until I cleaned out the creek to restore the brook trout. But at this point, I think that would you'd get tired of eating brook trout way before that ever happened.
1: It's it's crazy thing about you know East Coasters, you know we especially small stream fishermen, you know conservationists, you know brook trout is uh, what do they call it is a it a keystone species. But you know it's like uh, for your water quality, you know you get good, you know brook trout, you know you got good water quality. And out there, they—I won't say they despise them, but they are—they're viewed as an invasive species for their native fish. So it's like polarizing, you know, from <laughs> east coast out out west. You know, they—they they don't much care for brook trout in their waters. And here we we protect them and cherish them.
0: That's uh, if you're ever gonna eat brook trout and still doing it in the in the in the east, uh, take your <laughs> take your trip west and take right. all the. Take all the cornmeal and your black skillet with you, and you can, That's uh, right. they absolutely, uh, there's lots of places where they overrun. Actually, uh, one of the coolest things, a couple of years ago, elk hunting out there, we, uh, we came up on a creek, we were just doing some scouting, and actually looking for Adam's antelope, and, uh we found a creek and they were spawning. I don't know if you, if you remember that that mm-hmm. creek and
1: Out in the middle of nothing.
0: Man, there was hundreds. Yes. hundreds of uh, brook trout in this creek. You could just about jump across at any point and they were spawning I mean, and chasing each other. It was not
1: tree inside? and top?
0: No, there yeah, it was it was real high. I think it's around 10,000 foot or yeah. so and they uh, 9,000 anyway. It
1: looked and, like the water was boiling.
0: Yeah, they were it was uh, it was a really incredible sight to see those spawning brookies, but Unfortunately, you know they're not cutthroats, and I think that would actually uh, be Colorado River cutthroat territory as well. Mm-hmm. But they're they're gone. Nothing but brook trout. But that really cold water, the elevation out there, really favors those brook trout, and they they do great. But they are are invasive out there. But to see them, you know, if you come from a place where on a good day you might catch ten, twelve, fifteen fish a piece here, you can literally go out there and catch five a pool for as long as you want to fish and they're, you know a lot of them are ten eleven, twelve inches, thirteen inches, mm-hmm. beautiful colors, big orange bellies it's It's pretty neat to to see brook that many brook trout, but also you know to know they're not supposed to be there, but it is good fishing
1: well, yeah, I enjoy it, of course, you know us being native fishermen, I love going out west, so if, you know and we're from east, so the occasional brook trout, it's like, ooh, look at the brook trout, you know yeah. I I like this, and other people are like, oh, I don't know. "Get this thing out of here." <laughs> they,
0: uh, it, I I think uh, I was looking the other day, and it's, it's a super high number of states that have brook trout now, and uh, I I want to say out of fifty, you know, you're up there forty or better states. Mm. Uh, I think twenty. I think it's about twenty states in the east that have them as native fish, and probably close to twenty states that have them as invasive fish at this point but uh I want, you know it's one of those that's another challenge in a bucket list thing to catch a brook trout in every state they live in oh, yeah, so boy, they don't talking about. <laughs> i uh <clears throat> talking about those challenges um a few some, years ago my wife and i went to new mexico and fished and we caught rio grande cutthroats and gila trout and i caught a brown and a rainbow but they have a New Mexico challenge. So the only fish I did not catch on on my week's fishing trip out there was a New Mexico brook trout. (laughs) So a a non-native invasive species in New Mexico is keeping me from getting a challenge coin there. So I'm a little bummed about that, but at some point I'm going to have to catch a New Mexico brook trout to check that bucket list item off there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the brook trout, a native Georgia brook trout was the one that whipped my butt. On the five state. That's true. We got all the way to my home state and kicked my tail. I'm pretty excited Adam brought this subject up. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> I ain't got to go do that. I just didn't have time. We, got, we have since found, that was a lot of planning. It was a lot of planning. That was A lot of stuff had to line up to get from Virginia to Georgia Oops. on all the creeks, five creeks and film. And catch and, the fish. And drive and drive, uh, you know, eat. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it, uh, drive throughs.
0: Honestly to Virginia to Tennessee, that's a haul.
1: It is. Yeah. And when we done it in Virginia it was cold. Like it was It was April but it was still cold. It was like in the thirties. Yeah. Low thirties. <laughs> when we woke up. And it them things was slow. And we, of course, you know, on any of those challenges like that, especially if you want to do, like, day a day or something, you know, you have cutoff times. So it was getting close, like, mighty close to to the cutoff. It was like, well, I've just shot this in the leg and ain't even got out of Virginia. You know, Hemp had caught his fish, and, you know, I'd pulled, you know, you get the, you catch them, I'd pull them out of the water, and they would flop off. It was like... <laughs> Dang it. Well, that don't count. No pressure. That's right. So I started feeling the pressure. So finally, got to Virginia. And then, you know, of course, we fished a lot in the other states. So it was, it was easy past that up until Georgia. Then it yeah. got, of course, we'd run out of daylight. <laughs> and the creek that we had chose was just terrible. Because it's it's in close proximity. That's the thing too. People understand. Yeah, you could catch a Georgia Brook trout easy, but it's the time, the close proximity to the your route that you have to take to make that happen in a day. That's where the challenge is. Is finding the fish on that route. And in Georgia, the first one we come to was a little old thing, and it was just like it was awful. I'm zero for two on that creek, and yeah, I'm never going the- back.
0: <laughs> it, it was by far the closest brook trout to the south carolina brook trout you yep. know however yep. it is a tiny tiny creek and uh super super overgrown dog and, hobble and uh, we had fished it back in the uh, spring before that kind of pre-fishing our water to see and uh we caught, i caught a couple of that trip we saw some and uh we didn't fish it for long just a couple of hours kind of see if it had fish in it before we went to south carolina and checked that creek out so we would know where to go and the South Carolina Creek was really good, but yeah, it
1: was a real good. Creek. The
0: Georgia Creek, uh, there was only a few pools on it, and if it didn't come together, it didn't come together, and there was no time I, uh, to
1: drive from it.
0: The uh, I, it never made it into the video, but after I caught my brook trout, Adam and I bushwhacked up that creek through dog cobble for Father and I had ever been up it, yeah. <laughs> and it never got better.
1: No, it I was, seen a couple. Tried to sight a couple fish, sight fish, because by this time it was no filming. We're just trying to get the thing done. So we're poking like I'm like crashing through dog hobble and rhododendron. And like you would look peek your head up over the the dog <laughs> hobble and look in there and you would see him. The only spot he'd be fending in the sun. And so by the time you raised your rod up out of the you know, stick your rod up out of the dog hobble, I guess those eyelets or something would glint in the sun. Boom. <laughs> <pew, it's> gone. <laughs> yep. It was a heartbreak every single Man, time. Boy, he just wanted
0: to puke every single time. It's like yep. we got to catch
1: one Georgia Brook trail. and it got dark. It did. And We were exhausted. Oh my gosh! From a sleeping in the cold, which was a little colder, and and then and driving all that way and filming, and it wasn't an,
0: it was an adventure.
1: For but sure. as a whole, it was completed. Him got it. I only got the four. I didn't get the fifth one. I <laughs> need to go back and. We might do a re a redo of the five state again sometime. I don't know if it'll be this summer or not. We got a lot of stuff coming up, so
0: yeah, it's a uh, that was a crazy idea. That it's it's doable. Yeah, that's you know, uh those are all five states that the Southern Appalachian brook trout lives in. I guess south of the New River in Virginia is considered Southern Appalachian brookies. And- Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that's it. That's mm-hmm. uh you think about it, that's a pretty small area for fish population. Probably all those all that habitat together doesn't equal up a an Idaho bull trout habitat size. <laughs> right. So uh not to mention the other states it lives in. Pretty pretty small area.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the, uh, I hope everybody uh, enjoys the podcast. This is something new to us and we'll probably continue doing. Obviously, if you have, we're going to try to figure out where we can promote it. We'll have, uh, of course, the the podcasting uh, uh, software, what have you, to put it out there. But it, I'm trying to figure out where they can make suggestions. I guess we'll we'll have it on probably YouTube too. We'll put a post or something, and if you and of course we'll have our uh, Blue Line Trout at Gmail uh, there to if you have any suggestions or questions. And we're it was kind of done this first one, so you know we'll kind of see how we go from here. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, you know their next topics, what we talk about. We try not to cover too much information in the first one and kind of give you a little bit of an overview, but we'll go into depth on the future podcast, you know, maybe stream tactics, uh, different times of the year, how we modify our tactics and uh, even go into rod selection, you know, what rods we fish, you know, flies, you know, you name it. Y'all uh, you know, just just send us a message or something and of course we'll 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 uh we'll carry on from here and, you know, if anybody has a topic that Yes. Thinks... Most
0: most definitely we uh we wanna use this as kind of a platform to uh to answer some of those questions you may have. We we get a decent number of questions by email and even questions on the YouTube video comments. And I'll try to answer all those. Uh, you know, uh, Blue Line Fishers. I think it's a pretty small community, so we want to be be interactive with with you and uh, help you if you have questions. I know uh, last night I had a guy ask me some difference in the in rod questions between carbon and S glass, and so uh, we'll, we'll definitely Adam. I think he's got a video he's working on on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll hit those type of subjects. But um, after I've been doing this i think i got a uh, probably about 11 i mean about 10 or 11 years old i got my first fly rod and i got my first five and a half foot three weight at 12 so uh i've been plugging away at this going on 30 years so sometimes those uh those beginner questions uh i don't i may miss them in a video or something because something is something to me that's kind of old hat but if you have those questions i have no problem answering it i was a fishing guide for a lot of years and took people that never held a fly rod and tried to catch them their first trout in you know four hours or eight hours whatever the trip length was so if you if you have those questions feel free to free ask them and we'll try to cover some more of those uh kind of beginning topics i guess you would say and um how to rig the rod you know that was one of those videos i we did for jp and i probably wouldn't have have ever done that video without his prompting
1: Right, yeah, I think he gets a ton of questions because he, you know, that was his market, a small stream. Right. right. So he, he fields a ton of questions. So I guess he's utilizing us to sort of answer, answer some questions. And Hemp was right. I do got a rod comparison video, but it's, it's currently in production. But the struggle with that was conveying. How a rod feels to me in a way that people can understand it and can and can and visualize it is kind of tough for me being a non-sort of a filmmaker, <laughs> you know, trying to like I understand what I'm mean, thinking, but putting it out in a in a visual and audio way for other people to say, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's that's I, I'm struggling with that, but I'm I'm getting there, so. That should be poking along pretty quick.
0: We uh, we kid, you know, If you, I worked in a fly shop. My my father, I mentioned it before on a podcast, but my old man was the general manager of a fly shop here in Georgia for, for around 20 years, and, you know, people come in a fly shop, and we're all guilty, I've done it. You pick up a fly rod and you just shake the shit out of it, and, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that feels good. Well, that, you know, doesn't convey any how it casts, right. how it fishes, or how a fish is going fi- to feel on it, so... Uh, I told Adam just take the rods and shake them for the video. It should be about thirty-five seconds long. It's like, oh yeah, this
1: feels good. But that's got a good wiggle to it.
0: Yeah, it's got a good wiggle to oh, it. Oh my gosh! But it used to. It's not what we're going
1: to do. <laughs> so
0: next next time you go in a fly shop and pick up a rod and wiggle, I just want you to get a little bit of a chuckle out of it. And oh that's a, my gosh! You know that's a so it's such a common thing. There's really I don't know what else you do it besides cast it. You know, there's not. You pick up a rod, you can tell if it's light or not, and maybe. Maybe how responsive the tip is or something, but they, uh, but people would do that all the time. They would just sh- go back to the rod rack and pick up a rod
1: and just shake the crap out of it. No, I have,
0: and that feels really good.
1: Picked them up and immediately been like, This is trash, yeah. And from well known rod companies, like yeah. just pick this thing up and be like, I mean, but it's also, you know, uh, to each their own kind of thing, you know, to me like my what I'm feeling for what I'm trying to accomplish and the way my arm and wrist whatever like that to me felt like I was holding a broom handle and I'm like this is junk put that thing in, you know it's expensive then you know I go to a smaller lesser known company and pick a thing up and like wow this thing feels really light and nimble I love it and it's a quarter of the cost of the big big name brand yeah yeah I've definitely picked up a few and been like yeah that, that's yeah, yeah. not what I was expecting <laughs> that's right this thing is awful, <laughs> and people you know, you watch you videos on it, and they just love it. This is the best thing ever. It's like, I don't know what in the world, yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, to each their own, you know, everybody's got their own. That's
0: uh, that's one thing you know, uh, we talked about, and uh, Adam he, he'll talk about it in the video, but you know, Adam has actually JP has bought the JP Ross rods, but.
1: Yeah, i purchased
0: uh, all of them. Kind of like we won't ever probably burn blue line streams down, name them. Probably never going to be an info commercial either. We're we're going to shoot you straight on that. That's
1: right. If it feels like crap, you'll know it. uh, Because, you know,
0: I'm a pretty basic, I'm I'm a way more basic tech person than Adam. You know, I'll fish the same rod and have for 30 years, but... If you find a good one, but there's also a lot of really nice stuff out there, but there's also a lot of trash that, that catches fishermen that's not necessary. So mm-hmm. um, I think blue lining, blue lining in general is a pretty minimalistic sport. You know, you, you need a, honestly, most days you need a spool of tippet, some fly floating, about four flies depending on how well you cast. And and that would actually about cover it. You know, I carry way more stuff with me
1: than that. Yeah, but. we got thirty pounds of camera gear. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and uh, I got eight fly boxes, and I fish three flies all day long. I know they come off my drying patch. I don't even oh, open a fly box,
1: gosh. but that's something I, I should tell be them about better that at. one beetle though. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's uh, we,
1: we <laughs> Why, might end on that. This flies. is
0: uh, I guess a fishing story to to end this thing up on maybe. But we were uh, out in Utah doing the Utah Cut Slam. And uh, we went in August, so you would expect the water to be low and, and a little, little tougher fishing. But the, uh, there's fish out there, it's terrestrial season. August is always terrestrial season out west. But we, uh, we tried some different flies and had decent success, you know, but not great. And I looked in my box, and I had a black foam beetle I had tied to uh, fish for a big trophy fish on a piece of water I got it on back in probably 2002 2003 almost 20 years ago and we had a summer where the water was real low and we caught a ton of really big fish on the ants and beetles and that's what they really wanted so this fly I had tied myself as a kid way before I was married before I had kids or anything this thing had been riding I had about half a dozen of them they had been riding in a fly box for uh, for 20 years basically and we got out to Utah and uh, I tied that thing on And that thing, absolutely, those fish ate it up. And that saved, that's what my uh, Utah Yellowstone cutthroat ate, was a little beetle pattern. And uh, so you just never know, never know, you know, when that fly's going to come in handy because, like I said, those beetles, it's not something I fish normally. It's not something I had fished really probably in 15 years at all, but when we got there to Utah, there's a Bear River cutthroats. So there was a beaver pond full of really nice cutthroats mm-hmm. in, on the Bear Rivers, and they loved that beetle, man. And I would plop that thing beside them, and they would come five feet to eat it. So uh, never know what fly you're going to need.
1: That's right. There you go, folks. There's your all your, There's a justification for all you people that tote 200 flies in your <laughs> fly pack every day. You, just, so, uh, you there, never there, know. There you go. You never know. You never know. You never know. All righty. Well, I guess we're going to end it there. Thank everybody for tuning in, and uh, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be talking to you soon. We'll see you later, Blue Liners.